1: Hi, welcome to the Algae Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Angela Whitehorn. And Angela, I gotta tell you this: I, you and I have never spoken about this, but um, have you seen some of those uh, different Oreos
0: out there? Oh, Colleen, <laughs> how it how serendipitous that you would ask me this! Because just today, I went to the grocery store. And was getting supplies for my kids' school lunches. And I always stick some cookies in their lunch bag. Um, And today I got red velvet Oreos. Okay.
1: So you know what I'm talking about then.
0: I do. I do. I don't
1: think I've had the red velvet ones. My kids. Okay. So my kids think that different kinds of Oreos is the coolest thing in the world. So um well, it and is. Some you'll find in your grocery <laughs> store, but some, you know, you'll hear about, see them online, and you're like, they're not in my store. So uh, they, mm-hmm. my kids love Swedish fish, and they discovered their Swedish fish Oreos. So I had...
0: Wait, what? What is a Swedish okay, fish Oreo let me just, now? This, I don't. Yeah,
1: they're like, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure they were like chocolate on the outside and some red thing in the in, in the inside. And so I found some bags of it... Um, online and I gave it to them I think I put it in their stocking or something like that they were so disgusting I have to, so so this is just <laughs> to tell you don't get Swedish fish Oreos but there was a um, somebody had posted the new ones coming out for fall and I love maple fla- mm. flavored stuff and oh. I saw these maple flavored Oreos and I Um, I actually said in the admin shot, I don't think you saw it. I said, I need these like right now, you know, because I, I've gotten these maple when we were in Canada, I got these maple sandwich cookies. They were kind of like an Oreo, but they were, they weren't though. And they're maple and they're so good. So I'm picturing this. So Mm. I go in my kitchen this afternoon and there is a package of them. Like they just showed up. (gasps) It was like a. You know, gift from heaven or something. Something. No, my son who works at the grocery store saw them and got them. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, how well, sweet! Well,
1: I hadn't even told him that I wanted them, so that it was kind of special that way. Anyways, they're very good. They're very, very good. I only ate mm, two. They sound I good. Only ate two, but uh,
0: well, you did better than me because I'm not going to say who ate the package, but the red velvet Oreo package is seventy percent gone at this point. So I'm going to
1: guess they're good. They're <laughs> I are good then, right?
0: I. Oh, they're fantastic! I I do have a four year old and a six year old, so let you know. Let's don't assume that Angela ate all of the seventy <laughs> percent.
1: It's but. it's such a weakness for me, and so when my kids, I, it's you so get that double stuffed, and so, um, my son, my youngest son, when we would get Oreos, he would sit down with a package and he would take them apart and he would eat the white stuff and he'd put the chocolate cookie back in. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Hmm. Um, I, the next flavor I'd like to try that I saw at my grocery store is the carrot cake.
1: Ones. Oh, um, I saw that they have those. I'd like to try those too. Cause yeah. I do like carrot cake. I think, isn't there I some pumpkin ones or maybe they're coming out. Um, I did try the lemon ones. I am, I love lemon everything. So I love those, but I think there was like, this may be a couple of years ago, like some birthday cake ones and they were just sickening sweet. So.
0: Mm, yeah. And I, you know what? I actually really, really love vanilla and all things vanilla. And I'm not the biggest fan of the vanilla Oreos, actually. Like you said, I, I think the lighter they get, they're sickening and yeah. sweet. Um, yeah. I tried actually the ones that are chocolate, the chocolate cookies, but the cream is coconut. And I actually love everything coconut. And those weren't even really my favorite. They were a little too sweet. But I'll tell you what, these red velvet ones are okay, pretty well, good. Okay.
1: Well, I'm going to, I think my kids. <laughs> maybe got some of those and what happens in my house because i have four sons is when we buy something if i don't get some right away i don't get some you know so Mm. it wait till your kids are teenagers and this is just a pro tip oh it gets better huh let me let me give you a pro tip this is and i won't even charge for this this is for all the young parents out there (laughs) Especially young parents of boys, but it doesn't even have to be boys. My husband suggests you start a savings account now to pay for food when they are teenagers. So that's a little tip for you. (laughs) Because your grocery bill will go up. Because they are growing and they eat everything. So anyways, that's that's pro tip. Now tonight, we do have special background music provided by um, Illinois... crickets. (laughs) crickets.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, before we started recording, uh, Colleen and I always do a little wind-up chat, find out how we're doing and stuff, and I asked, can you hear crickets on my end? She says, yes, I do hear the crickets. So everyone, if you hear crickets, welcome into my world. I live in an, in a um, historic home, and I do have air conditioning, but Because we live in the Midwest, um, we get a lot of cool evenings, and I love having the windows open in my home, the way that it's set up. The, The air moves through my house really well, and it's a very nice breeze. And so we have our windows open, and I have the beautiful cricket music, and I love it. Actually, I put my son to bed tonight, and he said, Mommy... I love the crickets. So. You know
1: what? I, I, there's nothing we, we we have lots of crickets by our house too. There's there is something very soothing. Well, first of all, I love having the windows open on a cool night, cool summer night. That mm-hmm, is the best. Mm-hmm. I I just prefer windows open to to air conditioning. Um, but there is something just kind of soothing. You got the windows open, the breeze, and just hearing the crickets. And now mm-hmm. we have. I will say right now, um, there is a. There is a cicada, and those do not have the prettiest sound. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I'm not true. at the front of the house I, where you could hear the cicada.
0: <laughs> I, I tell my kids all the time when they're a little too loud in the house, I'll say, Honey, I need you to get control of your voice. Bring your." And that's exactly how I feel about the cicadas. Like I want to tell them, I need you to get control <laughs> yes. of your voice. This is a little too much cicada. <laughs> That's right. Um, but That's right. <laughs> I can't. I have not heard uh, hardly any cicadas around here uh, this summer. It, the ones that I have heard are long gone. So um, it's just the crickets right now. And the other thing I love about the windows open is then when it's morning and you're waking up, you get the birds. Oh waking yes. You up. So I mean, it's like a gentle sound machine all night, and then a sweet alarm clock in the morning. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before,
1: but we have an owl that lives in the tree behind our house. And oh, I love okay, so that. Mm. one of my favorite things I, I think of it as my owl. So <laughs> that's how I re- I'll i say my Aww. owl. I love owls. I've just always love love owls. And it, it about the spring is when I really start. T- well, I don't have my windows up in the winter. I'm sure I could hear him other times. Yeah, when we yeah. start opening the windows and about three in the morning, you can hear him. And I love just listening to him early in the morning, you know, before I'm ready to get up, so.
0: I know you guys like camping. I love camping, too. And this is one of my favorite things about camping, actually, is... Hearing the sounds of nature while you're sleeping, and I think that's part of why I like having my windows open. I always tell my friends, to me, it's kind of like fancy camping. I'm camping, but I'm in my own bed, right. So,
1: well, see, I, I do fancy camping because I'm in a motorhome. <laughs> I know you do, you guys bed. are glamping. Yeah, My husband and I even <laughs> joke because we bought this new mattress for our bed in the motorhome, and we're like, it's like the best mattress we've ever slept in. I'm like, I'm just gonna sleep there every <laughs> night. So.
0: Um, it's better than that so
1: Angela and I are gonna just we we always get questions and they come in and um so we like to take a, a time to answer some of those questions and um maybe just offer some some clarity um I actually I I didn't give them to Angela ahead of time so she's gonna be um, put on the spot with them. Yeah. Surprise! She, I'm afraid a couple of them she's, <laughs> she's going to say we're not doing that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just because the listeners want to know my bank account PIN number does not mean I'm going Social to Social
1: security it. number and mother's maiden name. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, So one of the Mm. things that came in a lot, and so I'm just going to answer this real quick. Um, Because of our MOPS episodes, we have gotten so many emails and messages and in the group. Is there any alternative to MOPS? And Mm. I... There, there isn't one that I'm aware of, and it's unfortunate because MOPS has put together a successful program, and I think that's mm-hmm. why many churches use it. What I do know is that some churches put their own together. Um, so they did something like getting a maybe a a good women's book to go through and they still set up some childcare during that time and maybe some crafts. And so they pretty much set up a very similar type thing. It just entailed a little bit more work on their end for planning. And, you know, Mm. I'd love to see Mm -hmm. something as an alternative to mops. Um, Well, I would love to see mops change, but um, if that doesn't happen, I'd love to see some alternatives come about. And one thing, you know, maybe as an option is if churches do put something together for their church, it might be something they could make available to other churches and Mm, just kind of churches assisting each other. Now, this is a question that came in, and I'm going to say it as it was written, although we would probably, I'm going to let you answer, Angela, although we would probably um, say, well, that might. Not, we maybe have a disagreement with the way it's written. So, do we apply the same rules to teachers as we do prophets? I enjoy the teaching of Brennan Manning, but he is a universalist, so there is a flaw. I can easily disregard that part of his theology. It 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 is his teachings on the love of God that I value. So I know that's a mm-hmm. lot there, but let's let's actually just start with the uh, teachers versus prophets.
0: Yeah, I think that we would say, because we are cessationists, that the gift of prophecy has ceased. Um, And so we don't have prophets today the way that we did um, in ancient times. Um, You know, the canon is closed, and Um, We actually did an entire episode on cessationism and talked about what that is and where that doctrine comes from and how we understand the sufficiency of Scripture. And so no new prophecy is being given today. Um, God is not speaking today through prophets, but He speaks to us through the Word of God, um, which is finished and complete. So um, as far as the difference between a teacher and a prophet in terms of what kind of standard we hold them to— um, we would easily just say, "Well, if someone is out there saying I'm a prophet and I'm giving you new words from God," we would automatically say, "That's false. That's that's not a thing that happens today." Um, so that's just starting with the prophet versus teacher um, part. I, you know, moving on, I, I'm not familiar with the name that the person mentioned, but um, uh, if this person is a universalist, then we can very easily say this person is not a Christian. That's a false teacher. Um, Universalism is uh, the belief that all people, eventually through whatever process, all people will be saved. Um, And we know from the word of God that that's not true. So what I would say about that is that um, this person is not a Christian. Um, So it's not a person that we should be looking to for teaching on... um, Really? <laughs> anything about the love of God, anything about theology? It's I, I know that's uh, maybe um, to some of our newer listeners that might sound a little harsh, but um, it, when we're talking about a false teacher— um, we're not really supposed to pick through and say, well, I can ignore that part of their theology, but this other part is really, really good and really helpful. You now, When they're a false teacher, we are supposed to separate and not look to them for doctrine. We're supposed to look to um, sound teachers for our doctrine. And so I, I would be um, very... I don't think it's stretched to say that it's very likely that this person's doctrine of God um, and the love of God is probably problematic because of the universalism.
1: Yeah, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about when I was much younger and um, people that I knew had gotten into, and this is, you know, Christian friends had gotten into reading some Catholic mystics and, you know, and some not— um, not necessarily ones that you know today, because this is, you know, early '90s. Um, and not ones that are popular today. I mean, popular, alive currently. I mean, they're still popular. But I, I actually read one of these books, and within the book, I mean, the writing was very pretty. Some of it a little bit flowery and whatnot. Um, and not everything within the book was wrong or bad, but he was a Catholic mystic. And if you dug deeper, you found out that there was outright heresy in some of his theology. And as we've Mm -hmm. said before, when we say heresy, we're talking about something that's contrary to an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. We're talking about things like the deity of Christ and the Trinity that we're talking about very important doctrines, not secondary doctrines. And so even if I mean, there's people that are going to say things that are right, you know, even if the, even heretics might say things <laughs> that are correct. But I think we have so many good uh-huh. options for people to read.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I I would say that. And, and since that question came from our group, I would say because I'm not really familiar with the teacher either. So um, what I would what I would say is our group is a great place to say, hey, do you know of any good books on the love of God. So I, I don't know any off the top of my head, but, um, you know, I do think, uh, though, I do see stuff like that just reading through Calvin's Institutes, though. And I, I do enjoy that. So this one, I know this is one that Angel's going to go, are we really going to go there? Uh, but it's come in so much, and I'll say uh, something no. <laughs> about it, and then you can decide if you want to add to it, because I'm not going to actually say a lot. But we have gotten this question so often that I'm just going to dive right in here. <laughs> um, in, they asked if we have done any episodes on birth control or letting God choose the size of your family, and we're we're really not going to talk <laughs> a lot about that. I'm just going to say we're not going to do an episode on birth control. Um, I think I, I know that a lot of a lot of people my age, even in some reform circles got into the um quiverful some of the quiverful stuff. At least the aspect mm-hmm. we're never gonna use any birth control. We're just going to trust God. And um mm-hmm. first of all, I it, obviously any birth control that's an abortifacient, it, we're gonna take issue with because it's an abortifacient. And we won't get into that in detail. But I really do think for and i'll just speak for myself because you and i've never spoken about this angela but i think that god calls us to wisdom and um i'll i'll even share my own situation my husband and i we have four children and we would have loved to have a couple of more um after my third one and then following um the baby I lost between my third and my fourth and then after my fourth I had uh, severe complications to the point it was life-threatening and our doctor looked at my husband and said um another baby will endanger her life and my husband said I'm not putting your life in danger we're done we're done and and I think that was wise for my husband to do. And yet there were people in the quiverful movement who accused us of not trusting God. And, um, y- you know, you got to be really careful with this let go and let God sort of um, idea. Uh, I mean, it, th- we don't say, I have cancer, I'm just going to trust God. Or I've got strep right. throat, but I'm going to trust God. <laughs> you know, we say, I have strep yeah. throat, I'm getting an antibiotic. <laughs> you know, and so... The um, children are a blessing, and we both have children, and we think they're a wonderful blessing. Um, But I think every family is different. And if it's something you're really struggling with, working through, talk to your pastor. That's my best advice.
0: (laughs) I absolutely agree with you, and I don't think there's very much that I could add. I I just want to highlight, you know, I I would say it's really between a husband and a wife. um, And then— as you said, we really do have to use wisdom, and I, I would say too, as well. Just like you said, we don't. Um, if you have a heart problem and you're prescribed heart medicine, you don't say, "Well, I'm just going to trust God," um, and not take the medicine. We use wisdom and um, modern medicine and the advice of counselors who are professionals in what you're you're um, evaluating. Um, it is wisdom to listen to counselors and to um, listen to professionals who know what they're talking about. Um, and I, I think that we can possibly venture into um, putting God to the test. If we, um, you know, I think about sometimes in cults, they have the belief that um, we shouldn't go to the doctor and we're just going to pray. And if, um, if we have enough faith, and if we pray enough that we'll be healed from the cancer or whatever it is. And You know, I would call that putting God to the test. And I think that it's possible and that if we're not careful, we could venture into that kind of territory with this sort of decision. So I I agree completely with you, um, with everything that you said, Colleen, that it is a matter of wisdom and it's a private matter of wisdom between a husband and a wife.
1: And I I would say I think that there are acceptable um, ways of family planning. And so I think that's, I, I think what sometimes happens, especially in this internet age, is you go in Facebook groups and you meet people who say, we're trusting God with the size of our family. And if this is a new idea for you, maybe you're a newer Christian or newer to studying theology and you think, wait, is that what I'm supposed to do? And it can be confusing. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but... Well, and it sounds very spiritual, and I don't want to say that in a way that sounds condescending because I think for some some families that that choose to take that stance, it is spiritual, and they are trusting God, and that's that's wonderful. But it doesn't make it necessarily a universal. So, um, if if you're not well studied or just kind of new in the faith or new to um, to some of these groups, then it can sound like, oh well, that is the most spiritual stance, and that's the one that I'm supposed to take. Um,
1: that's a great point. This is something that I definitely deal with. And I think you'll probably have some wisdom on this too, Angela. But it has to do with how we can be a light to family members who are lost. And um, she said, and when to know how to distance yourself. I'd maybe even say, m- maybe when when to know how to set boundaries, um, if there's a time with that. I mean, I, I suppose you could have unsaved family members that are participating in things you're uncomfortable with or things like that. But do you have any wisdom on being a light to unsaved family members?
0: Mm, um, I am going to speak not actually from personal experience because um, everyone in my family is a professing Believer, and that is, I know, pretty unusual, but that's a blessing legacy in my family that I am, yeah, a blessing I'm really grateful for. But so I'm gonna speak in just a handful of generalizations, and then I know that you probably also have some experience, Colleen. So, um, but you know, I would say, of course, um, give the gospel when you can, but I know that sometimes with family that can be awkward and difficult, so you don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to awkwardly push and um, close the door completely on your relationship because you're just pounding them all the time. But um, I do think that, you know, with any relationship, believers and unbelievers, um, it can be healthy to set boundaries if you need to, especially, you know, if you have children and you're talking about family members. I- I'm thinking of a friend um, that I knew years ago um, who had small children and who had a brother that... Um, became a homosexual and they had to set some real hard boundaries with that family member about being around their children and what, um, you know, please don't bring up these particular topics. Um, please don't, uh, um, engage in certain kind of activities in front of our children. And, you know, with boundaries, people can choose to respect them or not. And, um, you know, there's no rule that says that you have to subject yourself to, you know, if you using that example, if you've got a homosexual, um, family member who wants to start telling your children about homosexuality, you can say, no, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't spend time with you now. So, I mean, some of those may be very difficult, but I, I I do think this is a, a matter that involves wisdom as well. And, you know, talk about it with your husband, if you're, uh, married and, um, you know, if it's extremely difficult, talk about it with your pastor and uh, get get some wisdom there as well. There's uh, wisdom in many counselors. so that would be my advice.
1: yeah, and i I would just echo everything you said as somebody who half my family are unbelievers, you know, since my dad um, grew up in Judaism and ha- so half of my family, Are Jewish. I've I've had some of my family members unfriend me on Facebook. Um, Some of my Jewish family Mm. members, and it's kind of hurtful. But I think I share lots of Christian stuff, so I'm. I didn't I didn't like content. I mean, I've even seen some of them since they unfriended me. Mm. Um, But. I think you're so right, Angela, that you don't want to be the person that every time you see them is beating them over the head with law and gospel. Uh, I have Mm -hmm. now two homosexuals in my extended family. Um, and you know, so what, Angela, what you said about boundaries is really important. We had to make some really hard decisions, um, several years ago. And, and, And one of the things that was very helpful to me at the time was to talk to other Christians in my family um, and kind of be on the same page. We we found that to be very very helpful. So if we said, Mm. okay, um, you know, you can come over, but you um, but you're not to bring your boyfriend, you know, over or things like that. um, It was helpful for us to kind of have those same sorts of boundaries and to talk through that, um, but also finding ways to be a light. And I think sometimes that isn't just um, loving them and mm. being an example of Christ, um, that that that's one of the ways that I think that we can. I don't know that I've ever told this story, but uh, my when I was 14, I think I was 14, um my i would stay with my bubby. that's the uh, yiddish word for grandmother so what we called her my jewish grandmother and i i said um babby, you know the messiah did come and she said who is it and i said it's jesus she said really because i'm reading stories about him right now in a book and i said what book <laughs> And so she goes, and she has a large print New Testament. She turns out she's reading a chapter every night and was to the middle of Luke. And um, wow. she ended up becoming a Christian. And and I think the reason I tell that story is because sometimes there's specific opportunities for sharing the gospel. And I think it can be great to pray for those specific opportunities, maybe one of your family members is really going through a hard time and and you can share something then you know so you not ev- you don't want the reputation in your family that that person's just a bible thumper and all they do is you know is talk about that all the time i mean obviously i talk ab- i'm going to talk about my faith all the time because it's a center of my life but i want to have wisdom in how i do that with my unsaved family and um it is appropriate to have boundaries you know and that's going to look different depend you know it's hard to answer the when when do you have those boundaries because it's really going to be different in every situation so okay i gotta tell a little funny story um in the theology anyone who's in the group will or most people will know about this so in the theology i the Algae Gals group, I think we have 5,400 women in there. Sometimes we'll have to message someone like, hey, can you edit your post? Or we deleted something, this sort of thing. And we'll message someone that we aren't friends on Facebook with. So they might not see the message unless we alert them. We'll put a post in the group and we'll say, you know, hey, um, Rachel, uh, we I sent you a message, you know, so that they can go check where the messages are from people that aren't friends so we do this a lot and it's become kind of a funny joke so first it started as the women are like yeah whenever I see one of those I think someone's in really big trouble <laughs> like an admin is messaging you <laughs> then it turned into wait wait it might be something really really special you know and so um I I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little um is Shout out. I put a post in the group to see if there was any more questions that people wanted to ask. And so this has been like an ongoing thing. Like people post in the group. I'm still waiting for my message from an admin, you know, and and funny stuff like this. (laughs) So so I put in the group, you know, does anyone have any questions? And Elizabeth, you know who you are. She says, how to be content when everyone else gets messages and you don't. How to be content in the waiting until you get your message. And then how to encourage others who are never the ones tagged to receive messages. (laughs) So so I told her, I'm going to put that. (laughs) So
0: anyways, that was just a (laughs) lighthearted. Next time you're going to get how to be content when Elizabeth gets shout outs on the Theology Gals episodes and you don't. That's right. Well, I put a
1: post in the group. I put, Elizabeth, I'm sending you a message. And then...
0: I was just going to say maybe I should go delete her comment and then put a uh, message in the group. Elizabeth, check your messages. I deleted your comment. <laughs> but I, I put in there. I said I'm, I'm making. I said I'm going to
1: send you a message later. I said I'm making her wait. It's for her sanctification.
0: <laughs> uh. Anyway, so I
1: just I just had to give her a little bit of a hard time. So th- and this one. I I think it's something that we addressed when we talked about online behavior and you have some you had so many great things to say on the episode Um, how to know when engaging in online fights or discussion is unfruitful or worth continuing the conversation later or perhaps in person or the bigger picture of just not discussing things that are controversial. So how do we, and I think what she's really asking is, how do we balance? So we have online discussions. Somebody said to me today, I feel like like online has been like a a mini education for me. So we we know (laughs) that there can be fruitful and very helpful discussions online. And we're very Mm -hmm, adamant mm in Theology Gals. We're not a debate group. We just don't allow that. And so we know that there can be. And sometimes you can have a debate and a disagreement. But we're where do you think where do we draw that line of knowing okay this isn't going to be fruitful anymore or do we do we spend time arguing with people that we have different views with what are your thoughts
0: oh um well okay right off the top of my head the first thing that i think of is that as with a lot of things things um context really does matter and so you just said for example theology gals is not a debate group there are Uh, theological debate groups out there. And, you know, I think some people really enjoy debating, um, and there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about debating. So if that's something that that someone enjoys doing, and they're in a venue where that is what is supposed to be taking place, is debate, hey, have at it, be respectful, be kind, Um, you know, debate the issue, don't attack the person, um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with debate taking place in the proper venue. I do think that it veers into a problem if you are in a completely different venue that's meant to be let's say you're in a group that's nothing but prayer requests okay that's not where you take your debates. Um, and I think sometimes we think about we think um, online is so different and than real life and online isn't real life. I know I've said this before on, Uh, other episodes but I like to think of um, online as sort of being part of real life it's real I mean the people doing the talking are real the person that you are insulting on the other end is real a real person with real feelings the words that you're saying are real and I think that sometimes we kind of convince ourselves that online isn't real life so it doesn't really count the same way but I think it can be helpful to think of it in terms of okay um, how would my, how would I feel my way through how much is too much if I was in person? Well, think about that for online, and I think it extends to online. I mean, usually we can tell by words um, whether or not people are getting upset, whether tensions are too high. I think a lot of times we hide behind, oh, it's online, we can't tell tone. And I think that actually if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can often tell if we have veered into hurting someone's feelings. If you can't tell, ask, Hey, am I coming across unkind? Um, it's not my intention to be hurtful. You know, um, do a check, make sure uh, that, that you're not hurting the other person's feelings and then move on with the conversation. If um, you know, if, if both have said their piece, and no one's affected and changing their mind, then um, to me that's an indicator that it's not going to be fruitful. Um, If the conversation has descended into, um, you know, the same three arguments that are always made, or if it has descended into ad hominem, that is not fruitful. Time to walk away. And it's okay to just say, hey, this is going to be my last comment because anything further than that, and I don't really think it's going to be fruitful, that's fine. Um, it's okay to walk away. You don't have to, uh, you do not have to attend every argument you're ever invited to. <laughs> it's not cowardly to walk away if you don't think it's going to be fruitful. Um, so that's my initial thoughts about that. Oh, I think that's that's
1: really Really helpful, Angela. You know, I was actually reading through um, just yesterday the larger catechism on the Ten Commandments, and I know I've talked about this recently, but I was reading through it again, and I actually think question 144 and 145 of the Westminster larger catechism are really helpful as a guide. I'm not going to read all of them because they're very, very long, but I'm just going to read just a couple things so you... um, so you get an idea. I mean, it says things like, um, this is an answer to what are the duties required in the ninth commandment. And it says a chair. I mean, this is for in the middle of it. So this isn't the whole thing, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring and rejoicing their good name. Um, it's things like that. Um, and in the, in the second part, which talks about, um, what, or, At the end of that one, it actually says, um, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. So I think being mindful of that. In the second part of that, what are the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? Um, This really stuck out to me. These are sins forbidden. And towards the end, it says, endeavoring or desiring to impair it, rejoicing in their disgrace and infamy, scornful contempt. I mean, so things like that is good things to remember. I don't want to have scornful contempt. And unfortunately, sometimes those online debates can become that way. And I I really appreciate what you said about how sometimes people are like, this is online. You know, they don't realize it's real life. I've been hurt, you know, by things said mm-hmm. to me and about me online. And it, it is real life. And I think we said in the episode about the internet, that while this isn't the church, um, as far as like your local church on Facebook and your Facebook group, it is Christ, which brings us together in a lot of these um, Reformed Facebook groups. And we, we are brothers and sisters.
0: Absolutely. And so we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind when we're interacting and treat one another that way. And just remember that being kind to each other is more important than winning in a debate, and um, is more important than making a point. Is it? Is it more important for me to make the point and get those likes? Where oh yeah, burn, slam dunk. Is that more important, or is um, you know kindness to our brothers and sisters? And I'll add as well that um, you know simply disagreeing, simply seeing um, a matter differently than someone else. That is not unkindness, but um, the way that we do it uh, certainly can venture into unkindness. And so um, my very last thought on this topic is that, you know, because the person asked about, you know, just kind of maybe choosing to just stay out of debates. I I think that, you know, for some people, um, online debate is something that they may need to refrain from, sometimes because uh, some of us are sensitive people. And get our feelings hurt easily. So maybe we need to know that about ourselves and think, hey, online debate is not something I need to engage in because I'm constantly wound up and upset and my feelings are always hurt. So I need to stay away from that. Or maybe we realize about ourselves that we have some growth to do in being able to express ourselves in a kind way in online debate. And so maybe that is a person who who can consider, hmm, I, I need to take a, a step back from all the online debating um, and grow in my ability to express myself kindly. Um, and so I, I think that um, we can do that evaluation of ourselves, And then I think that finally, um, sometimes we can recognize that there are people that we come across over and over and over and see contention and, and constantly sort of being divisive and picking fights. And that would be a person that I would just steer clear of um, debating with, because uh, if history has shown me that every time I engage, it's not fruitful, and it's ending with two sides going, hmm, this wasn't fruitful, or everybody's walking away mad, then um, then I need to probably recognize, hey, don't engage with that person, because it's not building anyone up, it's not... Um, edifying and so it's best for me to just step back from that particular person
1: i kind of feel like wisdom could be the theme of this entire episode because i you know what you're talking about now really comes back to wisdom everything you said there was so great and really it comes down to am i being wise here is it wise to continue Mm -hmm. in this conversation is it wise for me to debate, um, so I, I'm just seeing a lot of wisdom um, being brought up in what we're talking about. You know, we have received uh, emails, messages to our Facebook page. I've gotten private messages on social media asking us to talk about anagram, or I don't even know if I'm saying it right. And en- how do you say it, anyways? An anagram. <laughs> I think Enneagram, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So obviously, I'm not an expert on this. Um, so. It is, so let me just say a couple things about it. It is something um, I would like to understand better so that I can address it because the amount of messages I've received, like for a long time I said, we're never discussing that. Um, I have a rule (laughs) in the Facebook group, you are not allowed to discuss it. There is a lot of people that have written about it and I'm not even prepared to recommend any of that because I haven't even... Um, like, verified, is, is this person's um, summary and criticism of it accurate? I, I think what's happened, in, I have some friends in the more broader evangelical world. And so there is there are people that say this has New Age roots. And so, uh, I mean, I trust that they're correct in saying that. Um, but it is also being used... In churches, in one of my good friends' churches, in fact, um, you find your Enneagram number, and um, it's supposed to help you know your spiritual gifts and stuff like that. So I think that's why it's such a big question, because it's being used in a lot of churches. It's a type of personality. Um, it's sim- similar to myers I mean, it's different than Myers-Briggs, but it's the same sort of thing. Like, if you're a nine, this is you know what you're like. Um, I do want to say I, I've seen kind of some reactions like all personality tests are bad and that sort of thing. And I disagree with that. Um, I, I, know, I know somebody who is an expert and is actually a pastor, but an expert on um, Myers-Briggs. It, and I think it can be useful. I think, again, I'm going to go back to wisdom. It's how we're using it. Um, so, I'm, so I'm not going to say mm-hmm. all of these personality things. One thing he does say that I find is very fascinating. He said, you got to be really careful with those online tests because sometimes people answer um, in the way that they hope that they'll, they are, not in the way that they actually are. You know, so are you a patient person? You know, one through five. Oh, yeah, five for sure. <laughs> but they're really a two. Um, so <laughs> but I I know that uh, for me, um, it. I know things um, about myself that are consistent with the um, Myers-Briggs that I am. And, you know, I'm not using it in my spiritual life, but it has been helpful for me in some of my relationships and interactions with people. And even with my children in understanding that they function a little bit different, um, that they um, approach things differently differently than than i do and maybe how they approach things and and whatnot so i don't think that all of those things are bad i think we need to have wisdom in how they use them the enneagram specifically i just i it's i've never paid attention to it i don't know enough about it i would like to study it and be able to report back
0: so that's my two cents do you have anything to add um, yeah, so I do know a few things about personality um, systems. I, I think it's it's something that's interesting to me, and like you, um, I have found it helpful. Um, uh, I am familiar with um, the DISC personality profile, MBTI, and less so Enneagram, but a little bit. Um, I have learned about Enneagram, and you know, I'll just say for now that. Um, I think sometimes folks have concerns specifically about Enneagram because its origins are a little foggy. Um, it appears to have either pagan origins, or some people take it back to Catholic mysticism. Um, uh, it certainly isn't Christian, um, I'll say that. And, and so what makes it kind of... Um, foggy and maybe a little suspect I think to Christians who have good discernment is that sometimes it can come across kind of like um when churches are trying to put on say Christian yoga and you know we've talked about that in prior episodes and you you, you don't make yoga Christian um and we've also said of course uh um people who do yoga and the entire practice including the spirituality they don't have the corner on the market um, on stretching. Um, and so, you know, there's a way to exercise wisdom with that, but, um, I would sort of say the same thing about Enneagram. Um, it, it it's, it, you need to use wisdom in how you use it. Um, it is not there to replace the scripture in showing you where sin is in your life. Um, but I do think that people have, um, found it useful in some ways to, um, uh, Uncover weaknesses and start thinking, just use it as a jumping off point to start thinking about, "Mm, you know, how could I um, grow in these areas that uh, may be a natural problem area for me? And um, Myers-Briggs, you can use the same way. DISC, you can use the same way. Um, All of these systems are, are, they're not just different ways of looking at the same thing. They are um, uh, different systems designed to look at different uh, functions. So like Myers-Briggs is about cognitive function, how you take information and how you, um, use that information to make decisions. Enneagram is more about motivations. Um, and DISC is a very simplified kind of, uh, meshing of the two, like motivation and decision-making, but, um, it's not about value systems. It's not about, um, Right or wrong, it's not really even about sin. So, um, you know, we need the scripture that is supreme for us um, in showing us right and wrong, um, using the law of God and loving the law of God um, to help refine us. That's really our authority. That's where we go um, to learn those sorts of things. But I think that using wisdom, um, you can get some helpful information from some of these systems and help you understand others, strengthen your relationships. Um, Uh, maybe adjust how you are interacting with other people. And I think a lot of people have found that helpful.
1: I think it is. I think it is helpful. Do you think sometimes there's a tendency to just throw everything out? Like, okay, there's a bad aspect over here. So we're just not going to even recognize it whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, you know, already earlier in the show, we talked about throwing everything out when we were talking about a teacher that teaches universalism. And I think Uh, It's interesting why we're giving a different answer here is um, because, you know, in one realm, that person, that false teacher is claiming to teach you Christianity and teach you about God and about God's love directly. I mean, that's the straight up claim that that person is making. And that's what you're going to that person for is to learn about God's love from that person. And we know from the start that that's not a Christian person, so you're getting tainted information. Now, in this other realm, what we're talking about is um, sort of some, I'm going to say sort of some common grace arena kind of stuff, where um, we know that even unbelievers in the world can learn things about nature, about the nature of man, Um, about how we think, about science. Um, You do not have to be a Christian to be a world-renowned brain surgeon. And so we can learn things um, from people who are unbelievers just sort of about the natural world and about the way that things function. And we don't have to turn up our nose at that and say, you know, well, this system wasn't designed out of the Bible, so it's complete trash. I, that's, it's kind of a different realm. And I know that that may be a fine point. But um, that's sort of, I do think that there is um, something to learn and some value in taking a look at what some of these systems say. we just have to be very careful that we don't get too carried away with it, that we don't um, take everything that is in it as gospel. And, um, you know, I think it can be fun. A lot of people uh, do it for fun as a hobby. And I think, um, you know, as long as you are not Letting it cloud your judgment on things that um, really ought to be driven by the scripture and what it tells us about ourselves, then um, I think it's okay to use wisdom and um, take a look at what some of these systems say.
1: So, the last one, and I'm fairly certain we've just lightly addressed this um, on other episodes. And I'm not, I don't remember exactly for sure, but you know, Angela, when you and I were growing up, and there was a lot of emphasis on these spiritual disciplines and especially mm. the quiet time. And it is it is good to study your Bible and you ought to and you ought to read your Bible and you ought to pray. But some of what we really faced was I, I remember as a teenager, if I didn't read my Bible first thing in the morning, I walked around all day feeling crushed with guilt like I didn't. Mm-hmm. I'm not a good Christian. I didn't do what I was supposed to um, in reading my Bible. I'm not going to have a good day now. Um, There was this like very odd pressure. I mean, that is really, really how I felt. And and I um, spoke with a woman tonight from our group who, you know, was talking about how her life is different right now. And one time we talked about quiet time and um, Bible study and prayer when your children are little. And one of the things that we said there is that it changes. You know, uh, I remember when I was single, I got up every morning and I spent an hour and a half reading my Bible and studying and praying before I started my day. And then, you know, I I got married and I still had that time every day that I put aside and then I had kids. (laughs) And now my time was interrupted, or maybe five minutes here and five minutes there, and it, things very much changed. And now um, I have my time is very different with my children being almost all grown, and you know life cha- life changes. And this gal said, you know, uh, that she spends a lot a lot of time in the car, and so she will listen to scripture in the car. That's part of what she does now. And how I I seem to remember talking I. I'm having a hard time like really pinpointing it, but I seem to remember speaking with you about this at some time in the past. Um, Mm. And how should we see this? Because first of all, um, you know, God is not going to take away some of his love for you because you didn't do your morning devotions. Let me say that first. Um, And and that's almost how I felt. Um, Like I'm not going to have as blessed a day because I didn't do my yeah. part this morning. So how can we think about this with wisdom?
0: <laughs> on the wisdom question and answer episode. Yeah, I um, I, do, I recall that we talked about this on a prior episode. Um, it's uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of which episode it was. But... Um, I grew up with a similar kind of um, feeling that you were describing, Colleen, a similar kind of environment where um, I can recall hearing pastors say um, in the sermon, um, I remember the words being said, yesterday's quiet time isn't good enough for today, and entire sermons being preached on the value of the quiet time and how you need to do that every day. I can remember it being preached that um, it needs to be morning. If you're saving it till the end of the day, you're missing the boat because just as you said, if you um, get up and do your quiet time in the morning, you're going to have a good day. If you don't do it, well, hey, we can't be responsible for what kind of day is coming your way because you did not do your quiet time. And I, I remember hearing... Um, I have heard ladies, you know, since adulthood in little ladies groups talking about, you know, I just, I had a rotten day yesterday, and I got to the end of the day, and I realized I hadn't done my quiet time, and that, that really affected me. And now, I am not saying that, you know, reading the Word in the morning doesn't orient me properly towards um, God and, and help me with my attitude throughout the day. I'm sh- It certainly does, um, but we have to be careful that we are not... Um, veering into um, sort of a low-key prosperity gospel there that um, what you do is have your quiet time, and then what God does is spits out the good day for you. That's, you know, put the quarter in, get your gumball out. That's really not how it works. I mean, um, God cares for us uh, day in and day out. Every day has enough trouble of its own, and it's (laughs) really— Um, not about whether or not you had your quiet time. I I think it helps, too, to think about the church throughout history. It is a luxury today to have the Bibles that we have, to have um, the translations that we have. I think most of our listeners probably, if you go to your bookshelf, have many copies of the Bible. And that's not how it's been throughout history. You know, It's, it's... If you take history as a whole, it really is a fairly recent development that the average believer has a Bible, and so you know what are we saying about Christians throughout history who who didn't have personal access to the Scripture that they were in sin because they weren't having a daily quiet time? Well, surely not. It can't be that God would leave His church um, without what they need to be equipped. No. Um, So we know that we love uh, the scripture, we love the word, and um, we are so grateful to live in a time when we have such easy access. Um, But, you know, not doing your quiet time um, each day and not doing it a certain way and not reading a full chapter and Um, not having an hour of prayer or whatever it is, no, those things are not sin. And so, but because we love God, um, and we are so grateful that he has saved us, we should naturally love his word. And so we are going to find ways to meditate on it throughout the day. Um, You know, I would say for me personally, my Attention to a quiet time sort of ebbs and flows. I think I'm probably in a similar stage of life to the person asking the question, and I have two small children. So um, one of the things that helps me is I attend my women's Bible study at my church. And so when the women's Bible study is in session, that really helps me stay on track with a quiet time because I have something – that I'm going to go be a part of and women are going to share what they learned and I'm going to share what I learned and I love that um, the women's Bible study at my church is is always about the scripture um, and it keeps me in the word so that's something that helps me and um, when that's not in session my life is a little crazy with my kids and so my quiet time looks a lot less regimented and that's ju- just the truth that's how my life is right now and um so, uh, you know, in a past life, in the, the kind of environment that I have been in before and that I grew up in, I think that there would have been a lot of guilt heaped on that, um, you know, you're not having your quiet time. Maybe that's why you're not having some good days. Maybe that's why your life is chaos. Maybe that's why you're not calm. And, um, you know, I, I'm just thankful to have the righteousness of Christ and rest in that and rest um, in the work that he has done for me on my behalf. And um, some days that's all I can cling to, that I know the gospel. Um, I trust Christ. And that's all I've got today. Um, and you know what, some of those really bad days, that's okay. That—that um, That is good enough. My My trust is in Christ. My hope is in him.
1: Well, and I would say there's days in which I, I'm, not, I'm not even good. I don't even think of it in terms of a quiet time because when you have kids yeah. and you're driving here and there and doctor's appointments and, and whatnot, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm praying, washing the dishes and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I often will tape a, I'll write a verse on a note card and, um, put it up where I wash dishes and I'm working on memorizing that. and, and, the Lord is on my mind all day long. I'm I'm praying at different times. Sometimes it's not during a quiet time, but sometimes you know it's a few minutes of prayer for a friend, or um, thanking the Lord for blessings, or listening to Psalms in the car, and and I think that's okay. I think that's okay. I think we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves sometimes.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. Even in those times where what I'm doing with the Lord does not look like um, deep seminary level study every day in the morning for an hour. Um, Just as you said, praying throughout the day, praying without ceasing, um, you know, memory work is so wonderful and helpful. I actually am so grateful um, to my parents for helping me memorize Bible verses and uh, Awana, probably some of our listeners remember oh, the Awana program. So I w- was a part of that as a kid and did a lot of memory work uh, with with that program. And that helps me too, because um, lots of times, different situations throughout my day, the Lord will bring scripture to my mind, and I'm so grateful, you know. And if I just remember a little phrase, I've got to, you know, Again, thank you for modern conveniences. I've got my nice little phone, and I type that into Google and get the whole verse and sometimes a whole chunk and a whole section. And it's just, um, you know, it's that's another way that it can just kind of work into the ebb and flow of our day. And it may not look like a specific set-aside time. Amen.
1: Amen. And one thing that you said that I think is a great place to end is is resting. Resting in the Lord. So I think we talked was it the episode. I think it was the episode with Carrie Baldwin that idea of receive and rest, um, or yeah. one of our episodes recently. And and I think <laughs> y- you know sometimes you have a sick kid, you have sick kids, or you know any number of things. And when you know we liked to listen to Psalms in the car. We actually would sometimes bring the the Psalter or the hymnal in the car. And seeing with our kids in the car. Even that is is um, something. So, Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think I've neglected to say this um, recently, but we do have Theology Gals merch if you're interested. And I'll, I'll link it in the episode notes. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.